I guess we're, we're now... At, I mean, it already got pretty chaotic when we were talking about, like, Alan Dershowitz for fucking ages. <laughs> but, um, this is the chaotic part of the show where we're gonna br- we're, we're bringing in a friend. How do you want me to introduce you? Oh, shit, yeah, I've got so many aliases. <laughs> um, <laughs> i just go with classic as FFF. FFF, who for some reason sounds identical to Jimothy Baker and Richard Miller. Well, I'm not. I'm going to ask you questions about Gatecast, so we're not going to hide your association. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that, that's fine. I just, I just want to get like more <laughs> people on my uh, new tw- Twitter account. I don't mean it's going to be like a straight interview, by the way. It's just going to, you know. We're just oh yeah. Interview. Oh yeah. Sure. Chat about it. Shit. Oh yeah. We're... Shit. Yeah. Yeah. With Alan Dershowitz, I was reading today. Adam Carolla used to do a man show and shit. Like he had a film with Ben Shapiro and the coat guy Tim. Tall time Tim. Uh, what? <laughs> you know, the guy who played the right wing. Sorry, <laughs> the, the right wing actor he was one of the voices in Toy Story. Tim Allen. Tim Allen, that's it. Yeah, he had like a right. film with uh, Ben Shapiro. Come and... to me, I, I know my right wing actors. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. want these bleeding heart liberals controlling Hollywood. You can't <laughs> get on in Hollywood these days unless you're to the left of Lenin. That's what Clint Eastwood told me in his 2012 Republican <laughs> National Convention speech. God, it's just like the half of the episodes I'm not on now. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, like Tim Allen and Adam Carroll and Ben Shapiro had a film where they complained about cancel culture, and Al Dershowitz was in it. And he's got a quote <laughs> in it at some point where he says, if you want to feel good, get a massage. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that, that's going to age well. Opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any dissent whatsoever. We know who the hard left are, and who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were to right wing, hard left agenda, printing money, nationalisation without compensation, hard left wing. like hey if you've got any harry and megan stuff that we can report in the times <laughs> oh, well i feel sad for like the biblical saint james who i'm sure like did lots of good stuff and was martyred and now he's just associated <laughs> with pedophilia <laughs> <laughs> maybe it'll turn out he was a, a like a bad guy in real life the patron like saint of, saint of pedophilia <laughs> he's also well, now, you know, also now forever. The Catholic Church. He's also now forever associated with being small as well, just as like the final indignity. St. <laughs> <laughs> James, yeah. Well, there's that joke. In... Oh, fuck, we haven't even released that Gapecast yet, but there's this joke in a forthcoming Gapecast where fucking Epstein shows up and he's like, we're going to big St. James Island. That's where the real sick shit happens. 
Oh yeah, we, we just have Jeffrey Epstein turning up out of nowhere at the end. And there's like a slight joke about it earlier where there's landing strip for no reason that comes in later. <laughs> so since we've already started talking about Epstein and Dershowitz and stuff, I guess I'll just say to our listeners we've been joined by a special guest, friend of the show, FFF, Farage's Fucked Face, Jimothy Baker, Richard Miller, whatever you know this guy as, you know, you may be familiar with some parts of his oeuvre, not familiar with others, but you've probably encountered him in our little world. You've probably blocked me at some point. (laughs) (laughs) For the real sick shit. (laughs) Would you like to shout out your new handle as well? Oh, yeah, it's... Let uh, listeners give a chance to follow you. Yeah, it's UKIP Portugal. (laughs) <laughs> that was just because in my head FFF retired and went to Portugal for a bit and now he's come back FFF was previously was it UKIP Blackpool it was UKIP Blackpool I'm yeah. not in yeah. Blackpool sadly anymore yeah and I, I don't want to let people like us past you know where I currently am so now I'm currently UKIP Portugal Ilford South yeah. <laughs> UKIP Ilford right. South oh that would have been a good one yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah fuck but you should have done that man expand the universe further that is the thing actually I've noticed that since you set up your new account there hasn't been enough as many posts on the old Jimothy account which is very disappointing I have to say um, yeah uh, I have to say man I think I prefer Jim to actually you and your real personality. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, I'll try to think of some more. I've been busy writing Yeah, our current episode, Wake in Milk, which is based on my love of Wake in Fight. <laughs> the Australian exploitation film where an English teacher gets stuck in a remote Australian town and they just drink loads of beer until everyone goes mad and then they go kangaroo hunting and the kangaroo hunt was done it was done for real basically they went and killed a load of real kangaroos and FFF was <laughs> was sending me the bit on the Waking Fright entry about that particular scene. Didn't the film crew have to trick the hunters into stopping Oh yeah, yeah, they like the uh, en- engineered an electrical outlet so they wouldn't have any more lamps because all the hunters were getting really fucking drunk and we were just like maiming the kangaroos and shit. Yeah, yeah, one, of the, one member of the crew threw up because they saw a kangaroo so horribly mauled. Yeah, it's a and, fantastic and first, film. And the first time I saw Wake and Fright, I remember watching that scene being like, oh man, this shit looks fake as fuck. They end up, that's like fucking, these, kang- these kangaroo puppets are totally unconvincing. Yeah, yeah they've, got, they've got some like live kangaroos, put a bit of red paint on them, it's like, oh no, they were actually really badly injured. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I love that because it's just like, I don't know, beer is like the villain of the film. Beer oh, yeah. It's like the supernatural force. It's like milk in Waking Milk. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like if you try to, like, with Nail drinking along with every drink they have in it, in Waking Fight, you'd be dead in 20 minutes because they just throw <laughs> back pints. <laughs> but that very mean joke I made to you about how I prefer Jimothy to your actual personality. I knew you get that because that's the kind of thing that Gapes would say to Jimothy or to. Oh, no, it's it, say it to Richard Miller. Gapes likes Jimothy Baker. And yeah, he, yeah. He, he just hates Richard Miller. Whereas Jimothy <laughs> likes Richard. So, but... I mean, who would have thought it, FFF? That your first interview, your fir- I know I already said this isn't a formal interview, but your first formal interview about the dramatic online sensation for which you are the head writer and co-star would be on the media outlet 
real politic. Who could have predicted that? I know, I think it's what we call synergy in business terms. <laughs> it's those Rupert Murdoch documentaries. They got me thinking about how one constructs an empire. So, can you explain to the listeners, FFF? I know maybe you're itching to just talk some nonsense about Jerry Lee Lewis or something. <laughs> yeah, I assure you, I, I am too. But could you kind of explain what Gapecast is? Yeah, Gapecast is a very mean and long-standing joke I've got about Mike Gapes because he indi- <laughs> because he indirectly got one of my Twitter accounts banned, Mr. Richard Miller, and it all grew from there. So, like, most people would just be fine with, like, calling someone a nonce or something, but I'm like, no, I'm going to create a mad world around you and make you some sort of inhuman supernatural monster in return. So Gapecast is just the pettiest revenge I can think of. <laughs> So the background is that you set up an account called Mr. Richard Miller several months prior to the 2019 general election, didn't you? Wasn't this account originally a kind of James Ball-type character? Oh, yeah. Mostly, yeah, he's, mostly he's made still... fun of James Ball. I mean, he still is. There's still James Ball references <laughs> in Richard Miller. I think there's one in Wake and Fright where he's talking about how he made so much money writing a book that was basically GCSE media studies and now he's minted. <laughs> oh and also about how he got paid six figures from BuzzFeed. So, so yeah, I mean, Richard Mill is still sort of an amalgam of me and James Ball. Yeah, but The then... account was more about quote tweeting James Ball and saying you're wrong at that point, you know. It was, yeah, and then with the Gates thing it just came, because uh, Gates was doing all sort of mad shit on his own, like those uh, leaflets where he was like basically pretending to be Labour and stuff. And people were calling you out, and I just kept like popping into the discussions, saying, "I'm the official spokesman of Mike Gapes, and and what we are doing <laughs> is legal." <laughs> you basically, during the election, just like changed your whole bio and your brand to be about being Gapes's campaign manager, <laughs> and then eventually Gapes reported you to the police because yeah, yeah, it was after like a quick got involved. I got a DM from Michael Quick asking me to discuss it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not responding to that. <laughs> fuck Michael Quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck Michael Quick. He's gone to work for the Daily Mail now, the fucking toss pot. Fucking yeah, I think it was about the same time, because it was that video on the mail where he, yeah. <laughs> he interviewed Mike Capes and asked him about Richard Miller. <laughs> yeah, that was the funniest thing ever until we then <laughs> tricked. So, right, so so what happened was Michael Crick got wind that you had said that Sam Tarry was trying to rig the vote in Ilford South and that people should send their postal votes directly to Mike Gates' office. This was, <laughs> this is apparently against the law. So <laughs> Gates reported you to the police and Michael Crick got you banned off Twitter, etc. and did this interview of Gapes. And he's suffered dirty tricks. On Twitter, someone called Mr. Richard Miller, claiming to be on Mike Gapes' campaign team, has urged voters to send their postal ballots to Gapes' office, even though it's illegal for a candidate to collect postal ballots. Are you involved with this? I think that man is uh, interfering in the electoral process. I don't know him if it is a him, because uh, Twitter is all kinds of things. He's been putting out tweets um, for several weeks claiming to be my campaign manager. Um, and he I... He says he's suspended spokesman for Mike Gates. Right. Have you suspended him? Uh, I've, I've s- 
reported it to Twitter and tried to get them to take it down and they refused. Today, after Mail Plus contacted Twitter, the account called Mr Richard Miller was finally suspended. The Labour candidate Sam Tarry, a Corbynite, denies anything to do with the Miller tweets. We had meanwhile been working with an undercover operative, our friend Rupert, to infiltrate the Mike Gates campaign. Oh yeah, that was that was incredible. That was such a good interview. That was probably better than any Gate cast because it made it much more pathetic than we could ever do. <laughs> Yeah. It's a group of young men, and I'm not sure where, I think we're somewhere in... I was reminded because you said or Meeks or somewhere, but they, they've got a podcast, and this podcast features me and a few other people, and they've got this obsession uh, with a speech that I gave in Parliament where I was talking about the Irish border and that there were farms with fields which crossed the border. And right. so there were farmers who had cows, which were in the north, and cows that were in the south. And then, and then, yeah. And I made, the, and then I said, and and then they milk the cows in the north, and they milk the cows in the south, and they mix the milk together. <laughs> they send it off to the factory, and it comes out as milk. So we managed to interview Gabe's and then do it as a kind of double bill episode with you now playing a new character talking about the mysterious disappearance and possible death of Richard Miller. <laughs> yeah, so... yeah it, it got like very better very quickly there. <laughs> yes, the uh, curator, he did actually give me some more information about the milkman, as the uh, ancient Bretons called him. Uh, he yeah. showed me actually a tablet they had in the museum. It was dated back to the 8th century BC. Sadly, it was incomplete. The bottom had broken off. It was written in a proto-Celtic, which Heinrich was an expert in. And yeah. it discusses an ancient evil spirit called the Milkman, who the ancient people, they believed he'd take over the clan chief when a youngster issued a challenge. When you're possessed by the Milkman, your skin would become pink and red, blotchy looking diseased the eyes would turn small and black much like the eyes of a shark and recede <laughs> back into the head as the head continues to swell uh, the host's voice would become high-pitched and strained almost a shriek at times uh, he'd become overcome with anger paranoia act violently the host would also become obsessed with milk he would have frequent outbursts about the importance of milk accompanied by wild arm movements as if he was trying to gather things in uh, at the bottom of the tablet, it does talk about the opposite of the milkman, who was a benevolent spirit. Most of this information is gone. The only information we had was the name Cam Quay Dant Lugaro. It roughly translates to the gay frog. I can't think of anyone who sounds like either of those things. No, these there. are just completely outlandish images, really. Uh, a different time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Just, this shit just hasn't held up, man. The, the mythology of those days yeah. dated. So after that, I mean, I think the two of us felt really that this was amongst some of our best work. That we had really expanded the gape verse in. You know, you'd written various stuff for that episode and relayed to us the tales of the Ilford streets and you'd set up the Jimothy Baker Twitter account around this point and then we reunited around Christmas, didn't we, to do the Baby It's Cold Outside rendition. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember <laughs> that. The Gapes and Miller duetted on. And then during the coronavirus, I guess, I got a bit of an itch to play the character again. The fictitious character. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like, I was furloughed during it, so I was like, oh, I've got plenty of time to make every joke I can think of <laughs> and try to work it into a podcast. So I started off with just a thing of Mike Gates talking, being like, I'm going to give you the updates on the news of the day. But, you know, the first <laughs> Gatecast isn't that good. It's a bit, you know, we had to find our feet. And then after that, really Dan took over as a head writer and broadened out the world by kind of bringing in the sort of stuff that we were doing with the second half of our infamous Gates interview episode. Oh yeah, I like I went hard in kind of bringing cosmic horror and Lovecraft shit with uh, Gates, <laughs> and like my love of like seventies uh, folk horror films and stuff just. Shoving in as many references as I could. <laughs> Can you tell people, I mean, a little bit, I guess we've now explained comprehensively the background of Gatecast, but can you explain, like, the premise a bit? Oh, yeah. Well, premise is, like, Gapes isn't really <laughs> Gapes anymore in the... <laughs> there's prime Gapes in the podcast, and then there's real Gapes for slightly sad old man in real life <laughs> you know i love like cosmic horror and folk horror and stuff like that so i was trying to put all that into the character of gates and get in a bit of satire too so gates just became the most evil man who's ever lived and also i can have a go at journalists so you play a kind of dual role in the series i mean we both play all the minor supporting characters as well but you play both Richard Miller, Gapes's lovable assist, <laughs> somewhat lovable assistant, and also Jimothy Baker, who's like the only journalist in Ilford, basically. In yes. a recent episode. Like yes, Gapes they are two out- completely distinct characters. There's nothing, yes. there's nothing similar about them at all. <laughs> Gapes <laughs> has recently outlawed journalism in Ilford, so I think Jimothy is probably the only journalist in Ilford. Oh yeah, Jimothy is just like pure client journalism. We had a, a whole episode about how Jimothy just accepts anything Gapes tells him, even when his own eyes contradict it. Yeah, Gapes is like, a real journalist reports what I tell him as I tell it to him. <laughs> uh, we work in a range of satire and pop culture illusions. I don't know, this is sounding too much like a kind of promo. I'm always happy to talk about Gatecast. I just like talking about all the stuff I've worked in there that is so obscure that nobody except me will get it because all of it is like references to weird, obscure 2000s anime and 70s folk horror films. <laughs> I was just going to give you a shout out for your underappreciated work on Wikipedia. <laughs> and I've looked at I don't know if this is you or if someone else has put it on there, but there is now a paragraph on the Mike Gapes article about the Richard Miller incident <laughs> with Michael oh, Craig. Oh, yeah, that was me. That was actually fascinating because the Daily Mail... <laughs> which got it right, you can't use those as a reliable source on Wikipedia, because the Daily Mail reported it correctly that it was me doing the postal vote shit. But The Guardian, because Joel Golby... Joel Golby, yeah, yeah, that's what I've just seen, yeah. Yeah, uh, so he, wrote, edit, he, he wrote about oh. the uh, shoes bit, so I can the... use that as a reliable source for Wikipedia, despite the fact it's factually wrong. There's an, edit, there's an edit on here from January that literally says source for the Richard Miller story does not mention sending votes to Mike Gapes offices. It only, <laughs> men- it only mentions shoes. Which yeah, is... that, that's probably me. <laughs> I also added on the uh, Mike Gapes article something me and uh, Jack were talking about when 
Mike was found to be using like £20,000 to rent a flat in London by Ilford being 40 minutes away. <laughs> and his quote was perfect. It was sort of like, what I did was perfectly legal. <laughs> I was just like, that's I absolutely perfect. what we did was perfectly legal. Like, extremely Richard Nixon voice. Like, no. um... <laughs> well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. I'm pretty sure I added the bit on Gapes' Wikipedia where it's like, he also called for the resignation re- resignation of Director of Communications Seamus Milne following comments Milne. I don't know if I, uh, maybe, I think I added something about Milne, but there's a hilarious bit which maybe FFF added, which is like, he also claims that Russian trolls have specifically targeted him on social media. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think that was me. And there's also the entire bit about the milk speech on his Wikipedia. Because it was in a new statesman, so you can use it. Although I didn't add it, but it's like it's just amazing reading it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I love that the entire milk... Well, the funny thing is, is that someone, maybe you, changed it to starting and you have the milk. Because I originally had it, it was going that... Uh, the quote starts, you have the milk. But somebody was like, you can't have that without the and. <laughs> uh, one of my favourite Wikipedia pages is John McTurnan, which I've been very involved in. And it's mostly yeah. just like a list of his failures as a person <laughs> and, a, and a political advisor. It's really astonishing stuff if you ever get a chance to read it. It's just like all the things he's fucked up in his life, which is pretty much all of it. Did he manage at some point to get James Bloodworth as well? Oh, shit, yeah. Ridiculous shit sticking on that. Yeah, yeah, I put his uh, Cubans in uh, serious shit on that, and then an anonymous account that hadn't edited anything ever before tried to remove it <laughs> quite a bit, saying it was politically motivated, <laughs> which it was, to be fair, <laughs> but they can't prove Ga- that. Gates and his party... Philip Cross that... tried to get involved in February as well. Sorry, what was that? Philip Cross. Cross, who is definitely oh, yeah, not Philip Oliver Cross yeah, no, yeah, he's incidentally involved. removed some of his old Islamophobic blog posts about, like, the great Islamophobia scam or whatever. Uh, yeah. Just on the Gapes Wikipedia page still, in the Change UK section, Gapes and his party came under fire after he described those who criticised them as Islamophobic based on those selected to fight for the party in the European elections 2019, including the Muslim Council of Britain and anti-racism charity Tell Mama as far-left trot... Far-left trot... Trot trolls and cultists. In September 2016, Gapes was ridiculed and accused of mansplaining after he incorrectly corrected the grammar of a tweet by Diane Abbott while making a grammar mistake of his own. During the 2019 general election campaign, Gapes contacted the Metropolitan Police and electoral authorities after he was targeted by a Twitter troll known as Mr. Richard Miller, who posed as Gapes' campaign manager and said he was fired for losing Mike Gapes' shoes. Yeah, that's one. The one that has no basis in actual reality. But because of a stupid way Wikipedia works, like most of the British political stuff on Wikipedia is inaccurate because, you know, you has to go by what the Times and Telegraph reports. So that was the one time Apparently, I could use it to my advantage. Gapes was also threatened with a cease and desist letter from lawyers for his campaign leaflets during the general election, which had red and yellow colours and a slogan reading, Real Labour Values and Independent Mind. More like <laughs> fucking confused mind. And then the section concludes with, 
On election night, he lost his seat to Labour's Sam Tarry. Yeah, I was trying to find like a record for it being the biggest losing margin by a sitting candidate, but I couldn't find a reliable one because I really wanted to get that one in there as well. <laughs> FFF. So tell us about the current Gatecast. Oh, current the, Gatecast. Uh, oh, well, we've got it's like... a serialised story. Yeah, we've got the current one. We've got the next one, which we haven't started on yet, which is Gates going through his portrait gallery. <laughs> and uh, going through, going through all, all the previous Gapeses. That definitely weren't him in a previous life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gapes is an ancient being who has lived many lives and has many souls. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so that's so, Gapes' so that's, gallery. That, yeah, that's a classic Gapes monologue. And um, that was just... Yeah. yeah, my favourite part of that was Gilles de Gape, which is based on Gilles de Ray, the ancient French serial killer. <laughs> I just thought, right. okay, that's, that's funny enough for me to write an entire episode about. And then you're writing the Wake and Fright one at the moment. But what about the one that's currently airing in... Oh, Gape Fest, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think the basis of that was just, like, me and you having a WhatsApp chat, and we were just discussing the idea of Gapes having a festival called Gape Fest. And all the names you had to come up before it. Because I know, like, you love your classic rock, so I was like, how could I work this in? And I think, like, the first joke we came up for it was Gapes trying to get the name Gapefest and finding out it had been copyrighted by <laughs> an adult <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> I was just ripping on all the different ways I could get Gapes into pornographic title. <laughs> the biggest problem was the name. I had originally planned on calling it Gape for Glory, but on trying to copyright it, I found it had already been copyrighted by a purveyor of the pornographic arts as part of a film series they had produced. So we went with my second idea, Gape Fest. Unfortunately, that had also been copyrighted by a purveyor of the pornographic arts as part of a film series they had produced. We went through a whole litany of titles, and every time it was the same thing. There was Gaping with Mike. Teen Gape. Good Times Gaping. Gape Stravaganza. Mike Gapes. Gape your... Then, and shit on my chest! Fieldford South Music Festival. And Gape for Glory 2. Due to a technicality, Anal Gape Sluts 4 had not been copyrighted, and during the planning stages, this is how the festival was referred to. Eventually, after a protracted legal battle, I was permitted to use the name Gapefest in return for a small fee and lending my impressive vocal talents to the label to use for their audio descriptive pornographic videos. I secretly suggested they add that to the settlement, as payback for Mike stealing my idea. She gets up and moves down between his legs to give him a blowjob. His uncircumcised cock is extremely thick and looks almost too big to... Yeah, so there's like, uh, titles included Teen Gape. <laughs> <laughs> Gape your... Lots of beeping. 
and then shit on my chest. Yeah, it was like my favourite two were like the sort of subtle ones. It was Gape Fest Two. That was some that was done. And also the Ilford South. No, it was South... Gape for Glory Two. Oh yeah, it was Gape for Glory Two. It was also a, the Ilford South Music Festival, which was also somehow copyrighted by a pornographic site. Yeah, and we're gonna like release a deleted scenes reel because we ended up writing so much stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, we we had a lot of fun writing that, we just kept coming up with ideas. Yeah, and there's some stuff which is like, I mean, I'm gonna, gonna, I'll have to say, uh, you know, the the deleted scene reel is gonna be, like, pretty heavy on the paedophilia jokes, I think. I hope it will be. But you like, when when you're writing it, you don't realise just how many pedo jokes you're doing. Yeah, then when it's like I mean, all put together, I think the majority I decreed to be superfluous, but many, nonetheless, I thought, well, maybe there's something salvageable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you say, our climax does include Epstein. So what's the plot? Gapes puts on this festival. <laughs> it doesn't really have much of a plot, does it? It doesn't. It was like Richard. I think it was like originally Richard Miller was trying to come up with like a small fundraising thing with a few local bands. Then Gates says, no, that's shit, and then the next day he announces Gatefest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gates always trying to get one up on Miller. I don't... Ah, here's my rolling papers. There we go. Yeah, sorry about but that. I sort of like to have an episode where Gates and Miller work together, and then there's an episode where they are at odds. Because I think the previous Gates-Miller episode was the East End gangster one where they work together quite well to take them all down. And then the next yeah, episode, yeah, they're yeah. completely at odds again. And then in Wake and Milk again, they're working together to, I don't know, make someone go insane. So it's like, Gates and Miller, uh, like, Miller is also completely insane, but if you put him next to Gates, he sounds quite normal. So I like the bits where you have, where you have a Gapes, a Miller on his own, and you realise, oh, this guy is also utterly insane and evil, just not quite yeah. as insane and evil. There's Gates. Well, it's ironic, given that basically the whole Gatefest thing is just kind of indulging my love of classic rock. But a lot of the jokes I unfortunately ended up cutting were just like, you just reeling off bands you like. Oh, yeah, that bit was just like pure self in- self-indulgence. Oh, it went, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought <laughs> it goes on for about two minutes. I'm going to just keep the vaporwave tent, I think, rather than the lo-fi pop tent scene. Uh, if you know that the lo-fi pop tent is there then you don't need both scenes but partly it was just because the idea was that gapes like just says a load of insulting things about all the bands while miller's naming them but i wrote the gapes insults and i didn't think i did a particularly good job with them so all in all i felt the scene didn't quite come together but hey, uh, i quite patrons. enjoyed them i mean there was like a lot of them a lot of jokes were this guy's pedo and in five years time those will be really prescient i'm sure yeah 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 i mean right now everyone says like that epstein he's obviously innocent but little do they know (laughs) i'm sorry i've just been distracted by uh, i've been sneakily checking mike gapes's timeline (laughs) and he he's retweeted mike gapes sorry he He's probably done that as well. He's retweeted Nick Cohen, tweeting a link to an excellent piece by James Bloodworth. Oh, Six no. Types of Useful Idiot. That's just like, that's, that's like a real like human centipede. <laughs> yeah, yeah, human centipede works as well, man. It's just brutal. 
probably Nick Cohen's been involved in that sort of arrangement. I don't know. <laughs> So, with this just being like the free for all, how about we talk about Jerry Lewis? Am I right? The killer? Yeah! <laughs> oh, one of my favourite topics of being Jack, Jerry Lee Lewis, and all oh, people he's definitely killed. <laughs> Allegedly, uh, but yeah, no, he's definitely killed. Right, so two of the man's wives have died in mysterious circumstances. Maybe some of them died in less mysterious circumstances, but I, there's two that I know of who died in particularly mysterious circumstances, and one of them, there is a huge article that Rolling Stone published in the 80s written about the case, which I highly recommend anyone read. We are a true crime podcast now. No, just kidding. Just a, just a, a, a classic <laughs> rock podcast. But Jerry Lee Lewis, like, yeah, 100% the killer has killed. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, you know the story about uh, him and Elvis where, I don't know, he, like, took some slight from something Elvis has said. So he took the completely normal action of, Driving to Graceland whilst drunk with a loaded gun, <laughs> crashing into the gates, <laughs> the gates of it, <laughs> Graceland, uh, trying to throw the whiskey bottle he had at the gates, but he didn't realise he had a windscreen, so he just shattered him there. And the police come and just like <laughs> find him drunk with a loaded gun, crashed into the gates of Graceland. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, oh yeah, it's Jerry Lee Lewis. What, what do you expect? Yeah, and he totally like planned to kill Elvis as well. That <laughs> yeah, was like he said, I'm gonna murder this guy. Yeah, it's just like the most childish murder plan of all time. I'll drive there <laughs> and kill him, but then I was undone by him having a gate around his estate. <laughs> what the fuck are these gate things, man? Yeah, Jerry Lee. It's quite funny because he's such an old-school entertainer in a lot of ways. Like, when he covered Sweet Virginia by the Rolling Stones, he changed the line, got to scrape the shit right off your shoe, to uh, got to scrape that shine right off your shoe. And it's like, you know, it's a different generation, man, where it was alright to brutally murder your wife, but you can't, you can't say curse words. <laughs> he's a professional. So come on, come on down, Sweet Virginia. Come on, honey child, I beg of you. Come on, come on down, you got it in you. Got to scrape that shine right off your shoe. I literally just remarked on this to FFF earlier, but Jerry Lee Lewis always does this thing where he like adds his name into the songs. It's like he fucking brands the songs, like Gapes goes mad and tries to brand cattle and human beings with the <laughs> brand. He, he, he always just adds in, like, so he sings a version of That Lucky Old Son. And he's like, tears are flowing down old Jerry's eyes. Hey, good Lord above, can you hear me pining? Tears are in old Jerry's eyes. 
And he always does this, like, he just adds in, Oh, Jerry Lee, he got old Jerry Lee hurting, blah, 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 blah. Or he's like, Jerry Lee, great balls of fire. He just puts his name in everything. And I realised that there is no difference between this and uh, when you're listening to a rap record and you just hear, DJ Khaled! I was going to say, man. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know DJ Khaled, the example I was using was Shaggy. Where a song's going on, you think, oh, this is quite a nice song, and Shaggy just starts going, Shaggy! <laughs> or whatever he does. I don't even I don't even know what DJ Khaled actually does, man, because he doesn't seem to produce anything. There's always shitloads of other producers listed on all the stuff he does. He doesn't rap on anything, just says yeah. two words, DJ well, yeah. and Khaled. Um, yeah. DJ Khaled! <laughs> well, he doesn't rap, he doesn't go down on his wife. <laughs> That's just <laughs> two things he doesn't do. <laughs> So Jerry Lee Lewis, anyway, this guy, he's such, like, a wild man. So he married his 13-year-old cousin. Not trying to, like, cancel him here, because, like, believe me, Jerry Lee Lewis got cancelled on his first UK tour uh, (laughs) in the 1950s when it turned out that he had married his 13-year-old cousin. Also, fucking hilarious thing I didn't know before. His 13-year-old cousin's father, so I guess his first cousin, she was his second, he was the bassist in Jerry Lee's band. <laughs> <laughs> so he went and seduced his cousin's daughter, who was 13 and was, as these things tend to work, also his cousin. Uh, <laughs> and then the guys just continued playing together in a band for years after that. Oh, um, that's turbo cut. And Jerry Lee's sing. All right, now of course this may have been sensationalised. They may have just heightened everything for the movie in the film *Great Balls of Fire*, which I watched last night, starring Dennis Quaid as Jerry Lee. If this is not the truth, this should be the truth. That Jerry Lee Lewis's single at the time of his first UK tour, when the papers caused controversy when they revealed that he had married his 13-year-old cousin. His single was a song called High School Confidential, which they play it in the movie while he's, like, rocking up to the high school in his car to pick up the 13-year-old girl and her also 13-year-old friends. And let me tell you, this song is basically playground bang around from Brass Eye. That's probably... (laughs) Although that's sung by a Gary Glitter-type glam rock act, I'm sure the song was modelled on High School Confidential because it's the kind of thing that you could hear it and just be like, oh, you know, it's clearly like sung from the point of view of a teenager. That's who rock and roll was marketed at in those days. It's about being a teenager, lusting after other teenagers. And then you look at the details of Jerry. So it's funny, you might just be listening to that. It's like you're driving in your car and like you're listening to the radio Jerry Lewis is on he's like going up to the high school fucking little kids <laughs> playing piano like Liberace and then like you get park your car get out and you're just walking past the newspaper store you're just thinking well that 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 song that was about being a teenager wasn't it yeah of course it was great song yeah it's a great song about a nice innocent song about youthful joie de vivre and then you see the newspaper and it's like, Sick child molester, Lewis marries 13-year-old cousin. And you're like, oh no, it's a song about <laughs> fucking kids. <laughs> uh, but that was, all, that was all the rage in the 60s, was that song Young Girl by, what's his name, Gary Puckett and the Union. And you listen to it now, it's like, that's not okay, Gary. 
Yeah, it's basically you being a massive paedophile, that song. Well, like, half the Rolling Stones catalogue is, like, <laughs> pains to fucking underage girls. Like, Stray Cat Blues, yeah, it's like, I know you're only mm. 13 years old, but I don't want no ID. And there's also, like, songs like You're 16, You're Beautiful and You're Mine as well, which is, like, one of the biggest singles of all time, but it's invariably <laughs> sung by, like, men in their 30s, like a post-Beatles Ringo star, who... <laughs> you know, given Ringo, Ringo has had some solo hits, let's not entirely disparage his solo career, but, you know, he's only got so many solo hits and songs that he sang as a member of the Beatles to choose from. I'm pretty sure Ringo kept performing that song in his concerts for many, many, many years. <laughs> yeah, but, like, did George Harrison start going out with his wife when she was 16 at some point? I think she was, like, in the film Hard Day's Night. As a schoolgirl, like the schoolgirls by Seven Aid on the train at the beginning. Oh, what, Patty Boy. Possibly. I'm not sure. I'm not quite up on my Beatles studies, but I'm sure there was something weird going on there. Well, Patty Boyd was the one who um, Eric Clapton, like, lusted after for years unrequitedly and wrote the entire Layla album about when she was married to George Harrison who was his best friend and then <laughs> eventually she divorced George and got together with Clapton but I don't know it's really weird like I read his memoir recently and he just seems to have become like he was so upset that she wouldn't get together with him that he was just like right made the album now I'm just gonna spend three years doing heroin and watching TV so he literally did nothing for three years, and then by the time he got together with her, he quit heroin and was just drinking. But just like the moment really seems to have passed from from his memoir. <laughs> uh... Yeah, we were talking about that when we were talking about uh, Robin Thicke, who released the album about his oh, wife God. after after she divorced him and just had a huge meltdown. The whole thing flopped, didn't it? It sold like absolutely fuck all. It's like it the, flopped. The... Like he was doing his big song, which can't remember the name of it. Like he'd stop in the middle of it and just beg his wife to take him back. Yeah, like that that gapes interview in the New Statesman. I've been divorced. I know what divorce is like. And you have the milk, baby. I thought the baby was a good touch because he kind of models himself on Marvin Gaye musically. But anyway, me and FFF were going through Robin Thicke's Wikipedia page the other day, and it is a fucking litany of failure and misery it's just the saddest thing ever (laughs) yeah he is he is the most divorced man in history nobody has been (laughs) as divorced as hard as he has been for a guy born of great privilege both his parents were kind of famous and stuff he has had like the worst luck in the world of anything like the last few years are just like fucking shit 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 hits him and then just literally his house just burns down and all his <laughs> stuff gets destroyed <laughs> but I, in fact I know how we got on to Robin Thicke in our conversation how, how was it? how did that happen? I was essentially looking into what the guitarist Mick Taylor has played on like what record since he left right. the Stones in 74 
And I noticed there was an album in like the uh, not much it turns out, but I noticed there was an album in the early two thousands by a guy called Todd Sharpville that I, I you know I hadn't heard of, but I looked into it and I was yeah. like, well, uh, well, I wonder who this guy is. If he can pull a former Stone for his like blues record, that's you know a cut above most kind of like white British bluesmen, and he certainly is white and British. This guy. Turns out that the dude is a titled member of one of the UK's oldest aristocratic families, descending from royal lineage. It gets better for this guy, uh, he's like the poshest man in the blues. Uh, seriously, this dude makes Clapton look authentic. Like, <laughs> he recently underwent a four-year child contact battle with his ex-wife after a turbulent divorce that put him at the forefront of the father's rights debate. Indeed, it says. Indeed, one of his songs was recently used by the US wing of Fathers for Justice on the homepage <laughs> of their official website. He underwent an emotional breakdown upon the collapse of his marriage and spent a month recovering from reactive depression in a British mental hospital. It was here that he wrote the telling ballad, Why Does It Rain?, and the humorous ditty, Busted in Pieces. He speaks quite candidly about these experiences, and is publicly very open about his private life and personal trials and tribulations. Todd recently declined an offer from the UK Conservative Party to stand for election as a proposed Member of Parliament. Now, there is only one source for that, the same source used on Todd Sharpville's Wikipedia page, which is a press release for the album of his that Mick Taylor plays on. So perhaps that record was the apex of his career, when the Tories were coming knocking, he had a direct line to a former Stone, maybe mix into the Fathers for Justice thing, I don't know. Oh, talking about weird stuff you found out on Wikipedia, I'll read my favourite one, which is from Daily Thompson, who people my age might remember from the old game where you crushed your fingers trying to press them really hard. Uh, but what people don't know about Daily Thompson is he was the great and harshest troll of his time. I'll, I'll just read this out. At the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics, Thompson, who had just won his second Olympic decathlon and gold medal, wore a t-shirt that read, is the second greatest athlete gay. United States sprinter Carl Lewis had been dealing with rumours of homosexuality and the shirt was regarded as being cruelly at Lewis. The second greatest athlete could be anyone, Carl Lewis said. Anyone. Okay. <laughs> it's, just like, um, it's such a weirdly cruel thing for Daley Thompson to do that no one remembers now. Okay, so Robin Thicke was let's just get this out of the way before we talk about all the really fucking funny stuff about him robin thick was in 2017 in the course of the aforementioned divorce accused of hitting his ex-wife repeatedly a rare bit of luck for him was that in january 2017 a judge denied her request to limit his child custody then later that month she was granted sole custody and a restraining order. She accused him of domestic violence, infidelity and drug and alcohol addiction. Court documents showed that Patton detailed numerous abusive incidents and stated, given Robin's history of hitting me with a closed fist, pushing me onto the ground and kicking me, I had no doubt he was capable of hitting Julian, their son, particularly after having used cocaine, alcohol or whatever other substances with which he is presently involved. 
Patton and Thicke then reached a custody agreement that August. So, um, let's just say straight up that this guy is a fucking piece of shit, and I, I, you know, I feel we are totally legitimate in ripping on his shit career, and just what a fucking loser he is. So, yeah, his house burned down in 2017. He has not released an album since 2014. But in January 2017, he began appearing as a panellist on the reality competition The Masked Singer. That is the peak of his career in recent years. <laughs> um, he has worked recently, but not as a musician, basically. Interestingly, going a few years back, before his surprise hit and then backlash with Blurred Lines, he actually was given a huge opportunity. He had previously worked with Michael Jackson and he was booked as headliner on Michael Jackson's series of This Is It Comeback Concerts. Of course, those concerts never took place <laughs> due to Michael Jackson's death. I would have um, thought Michael Jackson was the headliner, to be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did I say he headlined? He said he was there going to be the headliner. That would be a bit of a coup if he pulled that off. Robin Thicke doing a, a, a highly offensive said... Michael Jackson impersonation on stage. This, this guy is, this guy is that the would least be money. lucky man. Like, he didn't yeah, even yeah, have blurred yeah. lines at that time, so what's he going to do is <laughs> to upstage Michael Jackson? <laughs> well, they they could have just decided after Michael Jackson died. Oh, we'll put the show must go on. We'll have, uh, we're not we're putting most fucking tickets. Picks going on. But no, this is the least lucky man in show business. I mean, he did not headline. He did not support in this case. Uh, yeah, so I mean, you would have thought uh, Michael Jackson could get a better sporting role than. Robin Thicke, who nobody knew. Were they not <laughs> like, just trying to make as much money as they could to pay all his debts? So they were probably like... <laughs> so like paying $10 or shit. Who can <laughs> cheap? We're paying quite a lot of money to Michael Jackson here, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you can all make fun of me for my slip of the tongue there. But go on, I, I, I'm not mad. I'm laughing, actually. It, it doesn't get to me. Go on, I could do with a laugh, guys. It was basically like Robin Thicke was just like, oh, great, I get to open for my hero, Michael Jack. Oh, he's dead. Um, and, and then, and then, so he, you know, he works his way back into the big time. He has a big fucking hit with Blurred Lines, and then, you know, people start getting slightly bad vibes from Blurred Lines. In an interview for GQ magazine, Thick joked about the video, saying, "What a pleasure it is to degrade a woman." I've never gotten to do that before. I've always respected women. Extremely Alan Dershowitz voice. <laughs> <laughs> In response to Thick's statement in GQ that the idea of the video was to be derogatory towards women, <laughs> just, yeah, straight up being like, you're supposed to have a bit of plausible deniability when you make a video that, like, objectifies women, not just be like, yeah! Yeah, <laughs> like... It's obviously a joke. All that you need is to say what is... He was doing. All you need to say is, I was being postmodern, and you're fine. Well, you couldn't even think of that. You can't ironically say you're doing the thing that you're actually doing. The director, Diane Martel, denied this was discussed on set. That's crazy. Maybe he wasn't thinking when he said that. Yeah. <laughs> During an interview with Oprah Winfrey for Oprah's Next Chapter, Thick clarified his comment about degrading women, describing it as a bad joke, noting that the published GQ interview did not mention that he was doing an impersonation of Will Ferrell's <laughs> Burgundy character while making the remark, thus not providing the sarcastic joking slash context. 
<laughs> I would love to hear his impression of Ron Burgundy, because I imagine it sounds exactly like Jimothy Baker trying to impersonate Ron Burgundy. <laughs> but there's a bit in Gapefest where Jimothy Baker's narration says, such and such musical acts pulled out of the festival due to what they described as a litany of offensive comments and dances from Gapes. <laughs> And that just reminds me of this bit about the infamous Robin Thicke, Miley Cyrus, VMA performance. Oh, yeah. That was. Something on MTV where, like, they were twerking or something, and people were like, this is grim. The performance drew negative reactions for its alleged raunchiness, sexism, racism, slut-shaming, and cultural appropriation. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> they really swung and missed with that one. People coming at them from all sides. It became the most tweeted about event in history. <laughs> yeah, sounds <laughs> like it if it was getting accused of all those things. But I just love raunchiness being in there with sexiness, rape, <laughs> so, sorry, sexism, racism, and slut shaming. Like, yeah. oh, and raunchiness. I mean, it's American TV, isn't it? You know, that's, that's how it works. Like. Yeah, I mean, I don't watch MTV to see raunchiness. You know, my monocle falls out when I see that. <laughs> yeah. So he has his divorce, and then in June 2014, Thick announced that his next album would be called Paula dedicated to his estranged wife Paula Patton (laughs) (laughs) I just written here in the messages that's some loser shit Uh, at least Clapton had the decency not to call the song and album Layla Patty Boyd Uh, how how embarrassing for both of them I reckon he had to be talked out of it to be fair yeah but he wasn't talked out of it he did call the album no no I mean mean Eric Clapton probably had to be talked out of it oh yeah Eric Clapton yeah it's like if you've listened to the Alan Partridge audiobooks or read his books where he's just like constantly begging his girlfriend to take him back after every chapter he's got big bangs of that (laughs) <laughs> Clapton planned to call the album Patty, please marry me or I'm going to just spend three years doing nothing just sitting in front of the TV and watching heroin and following the release of Paula, it says Thick spent several months largely away from media appearances and performing in order to focus on his personal life and work on new music I should just say that this is in 2014 <laughs> six years later he has not released another album. Thick explained the new album is called Morning Sun. It's about fresh starts, new beginnings, and the heralding in of a new day. It's about the last year of my life, the time I've spent with my friends and family, and especially my son. I thought <laughs> his son had a restraining order against him. Thick also spoke of working again with Pharrell and Timberland, as well as new collaborators, DJ Mustard, Max Martin, and Ricky Reed. I bet they were all like, don't, don't, don't mention me. Did he tell these people they were collaborating with him? Well, yeah, it's like me saying, yeah, like I'm doing a new album, I'm thinking of collaborating, you know, with Frank Ocean and Rihanna. It's like, anyone can say that shit. Yeah, it's like, I'm thinking of writing a few tracks with Dylan on the next Crazy Moose record. That was uh, five years ago that he mentioned this new album with all these top flight collaborators. I do think that maybe he could have lost the music when his house burned down. Like, maybe he had all those master tapes, but it's like, dude, did you not back any of them up on the cloud, you know? (laughs) Uh, Like, just five years worth of music. 
Oh, whoops, my house is burnt down. Now I don't have to release that album that I definitely have in a completed form. <laughs> release. During a 2008 interview, when asked if he had ever benefited from his parents' connection to the entertainment industry, Thick answered, It never helped. It's always been a <coughs> hindrance. People can't see me without seeing them, and it affects the way people see me. When you listen to Jay-Z's music, you don't see his mother and father standing there. You don't even think of his mother and father. That's because they were poor. <laughs> but if you knew all of Jay-Z's family, you might think of him differently. With me, the people still visualise my dad and that affects the origins of the music. Yeah, lucky Jay-Z. Like, being so scared and a day-to-day -day existence in his childhood that he ended up shooting his own addict brother as he attempted to rob their family home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, famously, nobody knows about Jay-Z's family these days. Yeah, well, I mean, like, imagine how much good music Jeff Buckley could have done if people didn't know about his dad. Said he just did one album. <laughs> so, so... <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the dude did drown. I mean... <laughs> um, yeah, 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 but he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't have drowned if his dad wasn't famous. But, I mean, also, Robin Fick's parents aren't that fucking famous. Like, I've never heard of them. <laughs> I have heard of Alan Fick, but that's only through Gilbert Gottfried, who is pretty tight, well, was pretty tight with his dad, which is weird, I think. No, his dad was like a mu musician, but he had a talk show with Gilbert Gottfried on, and Gilbert Gottfried occasionally talks about how shit the talk show was. <laughs> I think that's pretty much everything I noted down on Robin Fick's Wikipedia page, but yeah, it's just like... The litany of indignities in his life is hilarious. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Too much of love drives a man insane. You broke my will, but what a thrill. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Yeah, it's good to see just an asshole's life go horribly wrong sometimes. <laughs> see more of that we only get minor victories like the lesser phil collins thing oh well yeah because he got fired from he was like they want me at the titans because i'm clever and smart and sexy and i play powerful booming drums with a gated reverb sound on them and then Actually, it turns out they just wanted him to slag off Jeremy Corbyn, and now that he's out of the way, they've got no use for him. Who'd have thought it? The designated quote-unquote leftist who slags off the left role at the Tory papers, you know. Of course, Phil was too special for that to be him. Yeah, well, he probably looked at Dan Hodges and thought, oh, well, Dan Hodges is also a leftist, despite being also a fascist. I'll be fine. <laughs> Uh, well, so, I'm, I mean, sure, I'm sure Phil Collins will be fine at Unheard or one of those other 100 Is he not, is he not trying to websites. start his own one by the look of it? He had something in his signature that made it look like he was trying to start his own crappy grift site. Oh yeah, that, that's exactly what we need. Yeah, because no, yeah, there's, there's not enough of those already. The Draft Writers, oh no, it's, 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 not, it's not the same thing. It's a writing and rhetoric company founded by former number 10 chief speechwriter Philip Collins. That'll be good. <laughs> I'm sure it will last as long as drugstore culture. Musings <laughs> on public language here and in our newsletter, first draft. Oh, that's actually been going almost two years now. And oh, it's that's got, sad. In, in, in it's that like, time, it's got 1,000 followers. It's Simon Hedges, the only person who subscribes to it. 
It's Simon Hedges. No, the only no, person it, it, it is it. actually significantly more successful than the Spoon. But then that's <laughs> that's it's not actually cracking double figure engagements on likes and retweets on anything, but. It's often getting three, four, sometimes even six retweets and stuff like that. So it's much better than the spoon. (laughs) Okay, I'm just checking in on Robin Thicke. And uh, get this, not only did his house burn down, but he was one of hundreds of artists whose material was reportedly destroyed in the 2008 Universal Studios fire, which has only just come out that people had their stuff destroyed in that. Well, swing some round rats, you know. He has also had another bit of work in the last few years. No, it was not any music. He rejoined the cast of The Real Husbands of Hollywood in 2015 for its fifth season, parodying his publicised personal and professional troubles, including his divorce, lawsuit, drug use, and poorly received album. (laughs) (laughs) This guy has really taken the L. At the end of June 2014, during a Q&A session on Twitter and hosted by VH1, Thick asked followers to submit questions using the hashtag AskThick. The tag was quickly overrun by people protesting against his misogynistic lyrics, his lifestyle choices, and other detractors leading to what The Guardian quickly called an epic PR fail. <laughs> when a Twitter user pointed out that the comments directed at Thick were brutal, Thick responded, I can handle it. I'm a big boy. <laughs> Swings and roundabouts, mate. Doesn't trouble me. <laughs> I'm fine. I've had my house burned down and all my albums destroyed. I'm okay with a few mean comments. <laughs> That's like all the main stuff since his life started completely going to hell. Uh, just checking to see if there's anything else in the old personal life section. I mean, if not, you can yeah. just add whole shit, because no, no one will check it after all the other stuff. Well, here's his quote on the recent fire that burnt down his house. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. From what you see in movies, you'd think there would be one doll left over. <laughs> course. Something. But it's just rubble. There's nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love to get all my knowledge of fires from movies. <laughs> the Jeff Hardy of the music industry. <laughs> yeah, so, well, you know, it's like at the end of that Star Trek film where Picard goes to the main room, he's like, oh, I've got like one thing left over. That's exactly how it happens in your life. Fire just leaves for one sentimental item you've got left. Well, guys, I'm really fucking hungry, actually. I need to make myself something to eat and I need to smoke a joint. Yeah, so, I'm uh, fucking uh, knackered also, yeah. We've been talking for a while, I wasn't sure if Geraint was going to stay the full course, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, I'm, I'm on balance, glad I did as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah, this has been an inauspicious RP debut for our friend FFF. Oh, great. Cast, Jerry Lee Lewis and Robin Thicke. The failing Robin <laughs> Thicke, very sad. Yeah. <laughs> right, later on. Lovely. Peace out. Okay, cheers, mate. Yeah, yeah, I'll send you mine over too. Big big love, everyone. Okay, see you all in a bit. Oh, fuck. See ya. I had the shit till it all got smoked. I kept the promise till the vow got broke. I had to drink 
from a loving cup I stood on the banks till the river rose up I saw the bride in her wedding gown I was in the house when the house burned down I may be old and I may be banned But I had the money till it all got spent I had the money till they made me pay then I had the sense to be on my way I had to stay in the underground I was in the house in the sourcing.